After marking song number 371, as Brother Harold asked us to do, might we at least think briefly about one of the words that seem to occur so often as we just sang the beautiful hymn together, thinking about the glorious mansions. Wasn't it our Lord who, in fact, said in John 14, In my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. What great words of comfort that must have been to those apostles who were so near to the crucifixion, in fact, the next morning. And though you and I removed from that event in terms of history by a couple of thousand years, yet how still comforting those words can be as we look anxiously forward to the glorious day when the marvelous hope that we have will become reality, heaven itself. Tonight, as you may have noted in the bulletin, as well as in the, again, the wall to my left, we shall consider a lesson entitled, Envious of Evil Men. As we look at the text of Proverbs 24.1, and as we look at a few other passages throughout the Holy Scriptures that touch that same subject, I think we'll be reminded of what is yet a practical matter, and one that perhaps we think of quite often, but yet one that we would do well to implement and to put into practice on, on many, many occasions in our lives. As we begin that lesson, might we at least pre precede it with a couple of introductory thoughts relative to some of the ideas contained in that very scripture itself. Isn't it interesting how often, perhaps those that are younger, but sometimes we who are just a little bit older, still nonetheless have the tendency to look up to people. We appreciate and have great respect for what another person is able to do or perhaps has done. The various activities, the conduct, the behavior of his or her life, we look up to them. And quite often, especially maybe when those who are younger and we're aware of, they'd say, I want to be like him. Or maybe someone will remark, I hope that I can be like her. I'd like to be like she is, to be able to do what he does. That idea is sufficiently common that, in fact, it appears rather often in the Holy Word of God, doesn't it? Not the least of which is this text before us tonight. Maybe in days gone by, we may have heard individuals held up high as role models, men like Roy Rogers or Gene Autry who would ride in and who always seemed to uphold that which was right, and they were always successful and victorious at accomplishing what the need at the moment was, whether it be vanquishing evil or whether it be upholding and protecting and securing that which was noble, honorable, godly, and appropriate. Those kind of shows still perhaps warm the heart as we think about perhaps a more innocent time when the world appreciated lives that were lived in that way. But today we shouldn't lose sight of the fact we still have a need for role models. Those men may long since have been dead. Doesn't change the fact, though, we still need to at least think about role models, the livelihood that they can bring to life, and the character that still is essential, especially in the lives of our youth as they choose role models and strive to behave like them. It has well been said that imitation is one of the highest forms of flattery. For someone to look to you or to me and say, I'd like to be like him. I wish that I could behave like her. That is a rather high remark that reminds us at the very least that someone is watching. And they're watching very closely what you do, 
what I do. They're in fact so closely observant that they have in fact reached a conclusion that they, if possible, would like to pattern their life after you or after me. It's fair then in that regard to ask the question tonight in our lesson, what about this text then of Proverbs 24.1? Does the Holy Word of God give us some boundaries, some guidelines that we should ever seriously consider as we ponder the nature of a role model or perhaps encourage our youngsters, maybe even we ourselves, to be very careful and to be very cautious about those whom we might choose to imitate? Well, those kinds of ideas said, I wish us to look not only at that text found there in Proverbs 24.1, but we'll use it to springboard as we look at a few other passages as well. But first, let's cast the spotlight, if you will, upon that text that Lucas read just a moment ago. Proverbs chapter 24, verse number 1. As the book of Proverbs was written by that very wise man that you and I recognize as Solomon, this 24th chapter begins in these words. Be not thou envious against evil men, neither desire to be with them. Might I ask you to notice that that sets forth a very obviously strong statement. It is couched in the language of commandment, isn't it? Notice the subject in many ways is presented as the word thou, third word in the verse. The verb is be. So notice he in essence says, don't you be envious against evil men, neither desire to be with them. The interesting features of that, of course, lead us to make some more remarks about it. First, what about the word envious? That's clearly a key, ver key word in the text, isn't it? I've chosen to present to you what that word seems to identify. It comes from a Hebrew root word, the idea behind which seems to be this. It attaches to the notion of becoming increasingly red as with anger. Intensity as it relates to hotness or greatness in terms of that, of that characteristic or that idea. And notice that relates to jealousy. Have you ever heard it said of someone, he's mad with anger or he's red with jealousy? Perhaps a person's face becomes flushed as he or she has become agitated or exceedingly angry at someone or something that's happened. Notice that idea of increasing redness seems to relate directly to the word that's employed here. This individual who has become jealous or anxious, if you please, in regard to enviousness toward someone that we're about to see described in that same verse. It is interesting that that clearly does it not relate to what we're considering under discussion tonight. Do not be envious of evil men. That's the way the, King, the New King James renders it. Let's put all of that together. Here the inspired writer was addressing then and issuing a warning. Don't you not, do you, do not seek to imitate. Do not seek to follow after in fact, to even be with those that are evil, those who are evil men. That does help us see rather amazingly, doesn't it, that there is a strong warning about those whom we might choose as our role models, those whom we may choose to imitate or to conduct or behave in ourselves like them. Do not choose as your role model. Don't seek in terms of envy or jealousy to follow after that person who is evil. 
as we can see easily that is going to lead us to a strong consideration a notion of what does it mean to choose a role model and why might this be such a poor choice why might a person in this category be one very unwise from the point of view of the Bible today would you ponder at this point in the lesson what you and I sometimes see encouraged maybe in TV other aspects of media like the radio do our children are they encouraged to choose perhaps as their role models those that are the rich those that are successful in business those who are known for popularity and position in the community those who are recognized in high positions of athletic capability many years ago with the success that Michael Jordan had the world was awash with be like Mike in terms of athleticism, perhaps few could match what Michael Jordan could do. But might I ask, by and large, athletes are held up as role models. Sometimes with what we learn about their livelihoods and their behavior and their conduct afterward, we realize what a sad and catastrophic selection and choice that might be. But notice, be not thou envious against evil men, neither desire to be with them. I might ask you as we consider our journey onward from here, look at some of the places where that might lead us. Isn't it true, given some of those last statements that we made, isn't it true that we by and large in a materialistic society often find ourselves and our children alike looking up to individuals because of many and sundry various reasons. I've listed just a few of them, and no doubt you could supply many more. But consider just a few of these cases that might be present. That young person who is in middle school or high school says, But Dad and Mom, they wear clothes, my friends do, with this name on them, this brand name. I want some too, so that I can be like them. I want to fit in and thus be able to wear and be accepted by them as I wear the same kinds of clothes that he does or that she does. Oh, Dad, Mom, have you seen the house that they live in? When I spent the night there, why don't we have a house like that? I'd sure like it if we could have one just like them. Maybe that young person also would say, but Dad, Mom, they take their kids to the movies a lot. Why don't you take me more often? I'd like to be like them. Can you imagine statements like that? Maybe you have heard that from your children, maybe from children who live next door to you. It's a rather common matter to consider the pressure of normality and fitting in might well bring. Consider yet another person. What about that young adult? That person who is beyond the, perhaps the middle school years, maybe in the high school years or the later part thereof, that person, perhaps as he looks upon one of his friend's parents, maybe he wouldn't say this to his own parents, but, well, his parents are great. I wish my dad and my mom was more like he is. I wish that my dad and mom was more like my friend's parents. They're so cool. Oh, they do everything to support and encourage. They go do this, that, the other. I just wish my parents were like theirs. Another instance of perhaps wanting to be like somebody else. Who is being selected as the role model? Look at yet another one I've placed on that list. That can also be a challenging occurrence. What about that young married person? That individual who not long in the past has begun a journey through life with a mate 
that has expressed love to that person. But as you might well appreciate, maybe in the workplace, maybe in some other setting, that person suddenly strikes up and finds an attraction to a person of the opposite sex different from his or her mate. And maybe they begin to lift that person up to a high position, a high degree of so much so of wanting to listen to what they do and wanting to do what they tell you. And perhaps soon marital problems might well result. Maybe yet another one. What about that middle-aged person? That person who has already experienced many things in life has reached that point perhaps 40 years of age or so. And about that point in life, Maybe that person says, I have worked difficultly, diligently, and greatly for many years. It's time to have a little fun. I'm going to set this aside, listen to my old friend Joe, and I'm going to live it up a while. Forget the church. Forget my family. I'm going to satisfy me for once. And so as this person who formerly had been so mature and who had in fact ordered his or her life in the proper and right way now listens to good buddy Joe who in fact has lived a life of wantonness and a life of less than godliness and now that person is being lifted up as a degree of role model or a person whose advice is followed. Maybe yet another. What about that older person? That person, perhaps in the twilight years of life, that individual who looks back upon the days of youth and sees other young people in the neighborhood or otherwise and says, I sure wish I could be like him or her now. The days of my strength are past, but I wish that I could again be like that person is and enjoy all the frivolity of life and all the pleasures and things that life has to offer. Isn't it true that it seems everyone can listen to and look up to something that somebody else might state, something that somebody else might set forth? And I might point out, TV certainly is an upholder of this set of ideas, isn't it? Near the bottom of that screen, might I ask you, though, to revisit one by one all of these things we've just now listed. You see, the world makes these matters look so enticing, doesn't it? Go back to that first one again. What about that young person who, again, we might said would like to have the kind of clothes that a friend at the school has? Think about it this. What do that other kid's parents perhaps have to do to get them? Do the other kid's parents love them? Does that other friend, in fact, live in a household in which there is great debt? Perhaps there's mistrust from the community. No one in the community, in fact, will trust them because they so often have not been true to the word they've given. You and I all know that there's many more things behind the surface and beneath the surface than what may meet the eye. You don't know all the specifics of what that other family may be involved in. That would be less than wholesome and, in fact, would be utterly miserable and pathetic. But look at another. What about, again, that high school person? That person who was so enamored by the parents of the friend. What else might be true about those parents? Oh, it's true that from the eyes of the friend, they may be cool. What else, though, might they also be? Could they be derelict in their duties and other responsibilities of life? What if the dad can't hold a job and the mom, perhaps, in other matters, are involved in things which are very hurtful and harmful to that family? Are they supportive of their children? Do they encourage and lift them up in the ways that the Bible would support?
You see, there may be many more things about that family we should be careful who we might want to be like. What about the third one? That young person, that young married person who begins to listen too much to that person of the opposite sex. You may well throw away a loving wife or a loving husband and for a lifetime never again be able to remarry scripturally. It's a serious matter. We should be very careful whose advice we listen to. We should be very careful whose counsel we might choose to follow. What about that middle-aged person who perhaps quickly learns to set aside the matters of responsibility and duty and to pursue with livelihood the things the world has to offer with all of its fleshly and sordid opportunities? Friend, be careful what you might wish to follow, for we all well know what, where that would lead. You might well lose that wife and children. You might well lose the other matters of a good job, and you might find yourself out on the street with nowhere to go. You might find yourself in a position that you would sorely regret what you did in the place that you once left. Notice also that older person we mentioned. That older person who might look again on the days of youth and wish I could again be like that person. Think again about the experiences of life and the wisdom that you already now have that that person does not. Would you want to go through it again? Would you, in fact, wish to make or pursue some of the mistakes that person might make without the experience and training that you now have? It is a good question, isn't it? As we contemplate all of these matters, isn't it fair to say in light of each and every one of them that there are several warnings that this text in Proverbs 24 will set before us? I would ask that you, for the remainder of the lesson tonight, just consider four brief lessons with me as we revisit and reflect upon role models, those who should be selected and those who should not. The first lesson is simply this one. There is a place for role models. We ought not consider that it's a bad thing to look up to somebody, to consider that there's something worthy about their imitation and their conduct and their behavior. For after all, the Bible upholds that thought. Consider some of these passages with me. John the Baptist was that person who, of course, was the forerunner of the Messiah. And every opportunity that he had, he lifted high the Christ. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, to quote John 1.29. In John 1 verse 7, we have the inspired writer referring to John and says, He was not that light, but he came to bear witness of that light. John bore witness of the Savior. At every opportunity, he lifted high the Christ and said, Be like him. John even said, I must decrease, he must increase. John didn't call individuals to follow after him. He did call upon them to appreciate the wholeness, the goodness of the Savior, and encourage them to look upon him as an appropriate individual, worthy of imitation and worthy of being followed. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 1, the inspired apostle Paul joins that chorus when he says, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Paul was readily willing to allow himself to be a role model to the extent that he was a follower of Christ. May I submit to you that one of our first lessons then in that regard should be, Choose someone with a godly disposition. Paul said, be followers of me, 
to the extent that, and as I am a follower of Christ. Paul understood well that in terms of imitation, one could do no better than Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. When he thus urged the Corinthians, be ye followers of me, it's interesting that the Greek word actually means to imitate. Be imitators of me, my behavior, my activities, so long as and to the extent that I am an imitator of Christ. Is it any wonder then in your life and mine we should be happy for someone to look to us as a role model to the extent that we ourselves are followers of the Savior, that we ourselves are imitators of the Master. And thus, young people and us older ones alike, as you choose a role model, don't just choose that person skilled in athletics. Don't merely choose a person who seems to be solely rich or maybe lives in an overly nice mansion or house. What about that person's godly behavior? If they aren't godly, don't choose them as a role model. The scriptures would echo that sentiment loudly and clearly, wouldn't it? But in addition to that lesson, might we point out yet another one? Secondly, could we not say that in terms of choosing a role model, that text of Proverbs 24.1 has been rather explicit, hasn't it? Do not choose an evil man. Do not choose an evil man as your role model. The scriptures have pointed out so boldly and so straightforwardly that as one contemplates the evil, there is something more significant than merely that which that evil person could set forth. There's something in life of higher value, there's something of greater significance, and there's something of more noteworthy importance than that. Do not, he says, be envious of evil men, neither desire to be with them. Are we not reminded of the opening verse in the opening psalm? In Psalm 1, verse 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Let's rehearse it. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. From whom do you and I seek our advice? Is it an ungodly person? The psalmist said, don't seek advice from ungodly people. They don't have the right frequency tuned in in their mind. They're tuned to the world. They're tuned to matters of ultimate destruction. They are not tuned to the frequency of God. In 1 Kings twenty-two fourteen, didn't the ancient prophet Micaiah say it well? He said, what the Lord saith, that will I speak. Micaiah was tuned into God's frequency, wasn't he? He said, I'm not going to say anything if the Lord hasn't affirmed it. What the Lord saith, that will I speak. When you and I select and choose those role models or the person who we'll look up to, do we choose one who's godly? Do we choose a person of hold and sound disposition in life? If we are wise, we will. We won't give our attention and uphold the person of the evil person, that one who is ungodly. In fact, to point that out in such dramatic language, look in the preceding chapter to the one we've been noting. In Proverbs 23, verse 17, listen to this rather bold statement. Let not thine heart envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. Let not thine heart envy sinners. When we understand that those given to sin, 
those who live a life unaware of or disobedient to the character of God's revelation through the gospel, don't lift them high in terms of an ultimate and final example in life. Be not thou envious of sinners. That person who lives a life of habitual, constant, ongoing sin, not knowing the Savior, not knowing God, no appreciation for the church, why would you and I as Christians select that person as our role model? It would be a foolhardy decision, wouldn't it? And yet on the TV screen, those youngsters and the sitcoms, who often do they look to and want to be like? It's some of the most evil, ungodly people that are on the show, those that are filled with all manner of evil concupiscence, those who live lives that are in fact sordid, lewd, licentious, and vulgar. They're the ones that supposedly are the fun ones. Is it any wonder we over and over again each need to be reminded about the character of be not thou envious against evil men? neither desire to be with them. The characteristics of that one maybe thus lead us to ask some other points. Rather than selecting some of them that the television shows might encourage, what about a godly parent? Your father or your mother, that person who in a lifetime of faithfulness and in a tender heart of firm position toward obeying the will of God, what about that person as a role model? Or what about your grandmother or your grandfather who in a life of devoted service to not only the person's family but to his or her God set forth a life that many in the community looked up to, that many perhaps who knew that person still remember with great fondness and with great influence. Maybe many others ought to select a person like that, of course, as his or her role model as well. Might I suggest at this point in the lesson that each of us should like to be a person like that so that others would have an opportunity to look to us as role models. But maybe in the third place, notice also on that same screen, this, of course, is drawn from the latter part of Proverbs 24.1. Neither be thou with them. Who do we choose as our associates? Let's not even go so far as to ask, who do we look up to as role models? Who do we spend our time with? Who do we choose to be around so much? The inspired writer said, neither be thou desirous to be with them. I understand, and so did Solomon, that there are times one has to at least be in the company of those. We work with people at the grocery store. We have to be with them in the grocery aisle. Maybe in the various organizations that we go and renew our licenses. We know we have to be around people, but who do we choose to be with? Who do we choose to go out to dinner with? Is it a family who has little, if any, appreciation for the gospel? Who do we choose to allow our friends to hang out with? Is it a particular young person whose parents have no interest at all in the things of God? What kind of influence is then our child getting when they are with that person? It's a rather sobering thought and a sobering reflection, isn't it? Neither desire thou to be with them. I've listed some of the passages that I would wish you to consider with me. In Proverbs chapter 1, verse 15, early on in this book, notice the resounding warning issued in that text that touches this same idea. Proverbs 1, verse 15, My son, walk not thou in the way with them. 
Refrain thy foot from their path. Who is he talking about? My son, refrain from their path. Walk not thou with them. Who's the them refer to? Just move back up in the chapter about four verses. You'll find he's discussing those who are sinners, evil disposition, those who have little if any regard for the things of God. Refrain thy foot from walking with them, the inspired writer said. All of us need a healthy dose of that recollection still to this day, doesn't it? For when we are influenced by them, we know what the influence will be. It will be bad. It will be negative. We can certainly hope that we can influence for positive, and when we have that opportunity, we should take the opportunity to do so. But when we are spending hour after hour with these, and we are not seeking to change them, we're letting them influence us. We are skating on thin ice. We are only asking for them to make us in their image, to mold our life to be what they see it to be. And as we've already learned in our study tonight, that's not good for us. One of the last points in that particular matter, what is it Paul affirmed in 1 Corinthians 15, 33? Be not deceived, the inspired writer said, evil communications corrupt good manners. It is simply a fact. We need no psychologist to tell us this. We need no sociologist to burn it into our mind. It's a fact, and it has ever been so. Evil communications will corrupt good manners. We thus must be very careful who we'll let our children choose as their closest of friends, for that good friend will influence them. Thus, we may one day wake up and find our child no longer has any interest in the church doesn't love God anymore, has no interest in going to Bible study because they have come to be made in the likeness of that person who they chose as their dearest friend. Maybe while we're at home, while our children are at home, I should say, we have a greater opportunity to be involved in helping them make those decisions. But might I suggest that when the time comes that they proceed to college or move away from home, we, by that need, time, need to have instilled within them the maturity and the wisdom so that they can make the proper decisions from that point onward. Because, again, the consequences, as we're about to learn in point number four, are simply too tragic to contemplate. Perhaps all through the lesson you have, to this point, heard me simply use verses of the Bible that point-blank tell us not to choose certain persons as role models or as friends, those who are sinners and evildoers. But notice, here is the reason why. And I saved it for point number four. What is the ultimate fate and the destiny of these evildoers? Why might it be a poor choice to select them as the ones to follow and the ones to imitate and the one whose counsel is to be obeyed and followed? Notice some passages that leave no doubt to that point. In Psalm 37, for instance, verse number one, Listen to what the psalmist has to say on that occasion. It is, in fact, breathtakingly profound. Psalm 37, verse number 1. The psalmist simply said, Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. Let me pause at that point simply to ask us all to note how closely that verse is to the one in Proverbs 24, 1. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. 
Don't be envious or jealous of those that work iniquity. Don't let them fret and cause you anxiety in life. Don't be the person of great tumultuousness and great bothersome character because you can't be like them. You don't have their money. You don't have their prestige and position. Don't let that fret you. Why? Verse 2. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and withers the green herb. What's going to happen to these individuals ultimately if a change isn't manifested, isn't made in their life? They will be cut down like grass. They won't stand before God in the sense of being found justified, in the sense of being found proper, godly, and right. They, in fact, will be cut down. Didn't Hosea say it in these words in Hosea 8, verse 7? They've sown to the wind. They'll reap the whirlwind. They're going to reap what they've sown. Perhaps one final text in Galatians 6, verse 7, reminding us yet again that be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Question. That person who might look up to that other individual now, be it one who is young, one who is in middle age, one who is in the later years of life, may we ask it this way. Consider, in fact, the last thing I've listed on that screen. After the time of death, would, do you still want to be like them? Do you want to be where they are then? Would you like to be experiencing what they're experiencing then? In Luke, the 16th chapter, in fact, the Lord told a parable that sets this idea clearly before us. In life, everyone, it would seem, would have liked to be like that rich man. He was clothed in fine clothing and ate sumptuously every day. He lived in a big house. How many in the world would like to be like the rich man in life? Next question, how many would want to be like him in death? For do we all remember that he lifted up his eyes in torment? He, in fact, admitted himself that my tongue is burning in this place. Sin, Lazarus, that he may dip his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in torment here. How many would like to be like the rich man in death? Not a single person would raise their hand, I feel sure. Why then do we want to be like him in life, knowing that that's the destiny of him, and that's what's going to happen? May we have on clear glasses that allow us to easily differentiate and to not be envious of evil men. Fret not thyself of evildoers, but rather choose role models carefully, wisely. Godly men and women who set forth an example of righteousness, holiness, and appropriateness before God and who have weathered the storms of Satan that he has cast at them and they have emerged victorious because of their faith in the Savior and their trust in the Scriptures. They are the ones that we should lift high and encourage our children to choose as their role models. It would certainly be fair to close the lesson then in some concluding remarks. And to do that this evening, I have chosen these to perhaps bring our lesson to conclusion. Who do you and I most look up to? Who do we encourage our children to most look up to? Who do we encourage others whom we may know to look most up to? We've learned this evening, do not be envious of evil men, neither would have thou desire to be with them. 
that is again a rather strong statement and a strong warning. The four lessons we've noted. It's entirely proper to have role models, but we must choose carefully. We must understand that they can have great impact upon our life. Not only choosing carefully, notice even our associations, though, must be closely guarded. And finally, we've learned the whole reason is, what about in death? What's the destiny? What's the ultimate disposition of these who are ungodly here? If we wish not to be like them in death, we'd better not seek to be like them in life either. And so tonight, as the lesson is now yours, how do you stand and I before God? Are we in a place or in a position in life to not be like the rich man? We much would prefer the reward of Lazarus, would we not? In Abraham's bosom, who is able to enjoy the bliss and the peace after this life is over? Because the rich man sure didn't have any. Tonight, if you have never obeyed the gospel initially and allowed your name to be enrolled in the Lamb's book of life, that opportunity is extended to you tonight. You need to believe Jesus with all your heart to be the Son of God. Repent of the sins that in fact are the very reason the Savior gave His life. Confess His name as the Son of God. When you come forward, one will be very happy to assist you in that activity and then to also assist you in being immersed, baptized in water for the forgiveness of sins. If we could be of aid to you tonight in the accomplishment of that, don't delay, don't hesitate, let tonight be the night. If you have become a Christian, though, but you no longer live faithfully to that calling of God, as we learned this morning, you no longer are a person elected of God. He has now cast his ballot against you. Make that change. Again, come into the citizenship of the heavenly fold, Philippians 3, 20, 20 and 21, and again appreciate the glorious wonder of being a faithful child of the Master. If we could help you tonight in prayer to, to make that happen again, we'd be honored to assist as well as we stand and sing the song that Brother Harold has chosen. <laughs>